from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Wow Report on Radio Andy for 2021. We're here doing the same thing we always do, counting down the top 10 things from the past week that made us go Wow. I'm Fernando Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell. Hello, hello. And James St. James, editor of the WOW Report, and so much more. Now, um, wait, you guys are in a secret undisclosed location, am I correct? Yes, we are. We can't secret... talk about it. <laughs> we, we, we will, but we can't right now. Okay, okay. All to be revealed. Um, <laughs> okay. My God, there is so much. This this has been a week, uh, a historical week. Let's start at number 10, Tom. Number 10. We have to uh, confess that we're pre-taping a little bit this this week by a couple of days. And, you know, people ask you, like, where were you when Kennedy was shot? We are literally giving you this number 10 is where were you? Because it's happening right now when the Capitol was stormed by, uh, you know, these these uh, terrorists, these these domestic terrorists. Um what a day, you know, we're going to get to it later, but it started, you know, I, I woke up to Georgia, uh, you know, turning the, the, the Congress and Senate blue and then followed by this insanity. And, and, and what do you guys, are you watching all day? Are you trying to avoid it? What's going on? I think it's important that this isn't insanity that just happened because they flipped the state. The insanity happened as a direct result of a provocation of a match to a fire set by the president in a rally that preceded the storming of the Capitol. The so-called, well, make no, but, but make no mistake that this that he's been fomenting this for for years now, and it didn't just come out of the blue when he, you know, uh, during the um, uh, over the summer when he said stand down and stand stand ready. That was the first you know sign that he was ready to 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 begin this process of of insurrection and i know here in los angeles we've talked about uh we friends and i were talking about this that the maga people have been going bananas for the past week and there have been groups of 50 to 100 people you know um red hat wearers storming the various grocery stores ralph's vaughn's uh whole foods uh trader joe's in on mass and it just seems like for the past couple weeks it keeps building and building and building until what happened uh this week which is just absolute insanity again at this late breaking hour and so much more will have been revealed by the time this airs but melania's chief of staff has resigned over this you know there's certain senators i know it's all crap but people are at least trying to, I'm, I'm trying to, again, it's too early to know how this is all going to play out, but that people, this is people's opportunity to, to distance themselves <laughs> in the last minutes, right? You are right that it is too early to see how it will play out, but it is absolutely crucial that we do not forgive or forget and that Trump and his family and the Republican enablers and the people who voted for him they all must be held to account because I think in this moment, what has happened is without historical precedent. James. Well, but make no mistake that the Democrats are going to do what the Democrats always do and try and rise to the occasion and say, we're going to move on and we aren't going to, you know, it, it started with Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon. And it's going to, I, if you think for one second that Biden is going to get down and dirty and do the same things that Trump would do, you're mistaken because Biden is a gentleman and he's going to say, we must move on as a country. 
It's going to happen. Mark my words. This is kind of like our, our putting uh, predictions in the envelope and sealing them because we'll find out what happened on Friday But um, when you're listening to this. But the only thing I will say is um, they're talking about at this hour, you know, we're still in Wednesday. And they're talking about they probably can't impeach him. They probably can't 25th Amendment him. But they can censor him as both houses, which is what they did to Joe McCartney, McCarth- McCarthy way back when. Again, different times, different, you know, a lot of backlash. Twitter has banned Trump for 12 hours right now. And the only hours, just 12. I mean, ban him for life, for Christ's sake. Get rid of the motherfucker. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And the last (laughs) thing I'm hoping, as I I project forward, and I know nothing, and I'm I'm, I'm playing out out of my depths, but if Trump, who's going to, there's also talk that he's going to, you know, say he's running for president on like the inauguration day or something. And I'm just hoping. That, you know, we, we saw in Georgia, we saw in the presidential election, that we're kind of like a 50%, 49% nation. You know, it's a very tight division. And I'm hoping that Trump and, and this outrageous thing, it helps to divide the Republicans. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, even if it's 10% and 40%, you know, and then we stay 50 or go to 51 or something. So that's all. I just it couldn't be, not talk it would be about a lovely it. world if that were the case. I just, I, I think we're so far divided. I think the division is only going to get worse. All right. Well, on that chip, let's move on. <laughs> Number nine. Number nine. Number nine. Well, I'm just going to get away from politics for a minute. I spent the last week and a half immersed in Bridgerton on Netflix. I don't know if you guys have been catching up on what's going on with Bridgerton. It takes place during the Regency period in London, which Fenton, I know you remember as a young child, uh, the early 1800s. And it is um, uh, during the debutante season. And it's two families, the the respectable Bridgertons and the Nouveau Riche Featherington clan. And you can tell that they're Nouveau Riche because they wear shiny fabrics and have too much, uh, wear too much ornamentation. They have big feathers coming everywhere. Um, uh, During the Regency period, in in what we know from history is that King George was mad as a hatter. And his wife was Queen Charlotte. And she was basically in charge. And Queen Charlotte was perhaps of African descent. She was maybe a black woman. We know this from portraiture of the period. And that's that's real. We, we know that, that that was a possibility. So what this is, is this is an alternate timeline where because Queen Charlotte was black, there is no racism in early 1800 uh, UK. And that there are black dukes and there are black society women and there are black you know ladies in waiting. And everywhere you look, it's just, it's, it's a colorblind society. And so you have the uh, the dashing um, Duke of uh, Duke of Hastings, and who is played by Regé-Jean Page, who is the handsomest man on the planet. There's a gossip girl like protagonist who narrates the story, and that's Julie Andrews. And Julie Andrews is the voice of uh, uh, the 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 the. the a gossip columnist who sort of leads the story along. It's like I said, it is, there is a, a plot point about a cum rag that uh, he uses when he masturbates that, it, that the whole plot hinges on. And there are, I mean, there's a, a, a spoon I, that factors in that you would not believe what goes on with this spoon. I miss both these things. Can you just uh, educate me? I watched the series. How did I miss the cum rag? 
the comrade, he every time he's he's inside of her, he pulls out beforehand oh, and then he jerks off into the cum rag. And when she takes the cum rag, she takes it to the girl and she says, What is this? And they have to explain to her what uh you know what the pullout method is. And um oh, so you did see the whole thing, Fenton. I did, of course. I got I the first two episodes left me a bit, mm, I don't know. And I then I got it gets just... better and better, doesn't it? Yes, it really does. He it really is does. Absolutely stunning, isn't he? he oh, he is. Ah. I mean, for that alone, that's, that's what a know. star we have found. Is he the yeah. one that was being considered for James Bond all of a sudden overnight? Oh, to see I can see it. Yes, yes. Anyway, it's like I said, it's pure trash. It is. There is nothing <laughs> redeeming about it, and yet, by God, it is just—it's so entertaining. Well, it, but it, it is weirdly politically pointed at this moment, isn't it? To be in a society that is colorblind and free of racism. And, you know, it's funny because the great did, did the same thing. I think it did it a little better. But I was thinking that there have been a number of colorblind um, things, you know, since Hamilton, I guess, is sort of all the rage to, uh, to just not pay attention to race when you're casting, which is a good thing. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's a good thing overall. I think it feels very Trumpian to set set this sort of false history because in, yeah, uh, I, I worry that, it, on it. that weirdly it will have an effect of whitewashing history and that exactly, we will yes. call the, the real evils and that that is, you know, white male privilege. You know, so much of what we've been talking about over this past year as a society pointing the finger at a system that was laid in place centuries ago. And yes. so you erase what that really looked like, you're in danger perhaps of whitewashing it. I was I was sort of thinking, you know, you know, if you approach the same thing with the Nazis, you would Well, that's, would be, you end up with a with a, a generation of Holocaust deniers and you need to teach the history of slavery, you need to teach the history of, you know, all all the all the things that that are bad and I, I I agree with you that it does end up whitewashing history, and that's a whole other conversation. Um, you can watch uh, Stream Bridgerton, by the way, on Netflix. Um, so number eight. Number eight. Um, it's just a weird, uh, sad moment. Um, years ago, Randy and I made a film um, documentary called Party Monster. Uh, James, you were in it, and it told the story of the Club Kids. We set out to make a documentary about the Club Kids. And the documentary ended up being very much about Michael Eilig, who was the kind of pioneer of the Club Kids, and his murder of Angel Melendez. Um, Michael went to jail for 17 years, was released, but sadly, I don't think in life ever really found his footing or wasn't able to overcome his addictions. And long story short, he passed away on Christmas Day of a heroin overdose. And it was very sad to see how, look, you know, I feel that, I think we all agree Michael did something unforgivable that you, to take another person's life is is unforgivable and I I actually believe that no matter how oddly he expressed his remorse or how inadequately expressed his remorse I believe he was fundamentally overcome by it and unable to move beyond it and so it was sad to see how in many ways how unmourned he was and and how much hatred there was online but at the same time, there were some beautiful tributes. I, I think uh, Genitalia. Genitalia um, was beautiful. She, she essentially said that, you know, uh, there was a moment in time where we thought we could change the world together. 
and uh, there was a, 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 a beauty to it. And no matter what happened afterwards, after the horrific violence of, of Angel's death, that we could all still hold on to that one moment when we were together and there was a, there was a, a beauty to the scene. Um, and so there's there's no... You, you can love and respect the memories that you have of everything that was before. Um, I, I just wanted to, to say that, um, you know, I wanted to believe that there was some redemption that he could, um, after getting out of prison, that he could try and turn his life around and, and um, uh, uh, give back to the community. And from what he said when he was in prison, he wanted to, he got out and he was a, a victim to his demons um, and never was able to change that. I do want to mention that his mother, um, Elka, uh, she had lost her other son three months ago to cancer. And so she lost both her children over the course of three months. And um, bless her heart. I mean, I my heart aches for her. No matter what you think about Michael, uh, it was a mother who lost two children in the course of three months. So I... I Really and wrong. as an to this whole story, you also think how triggering it must have been for Angel's, you know, yeah. family and loved ones. Just for the just, it's there's so much sadness that surrounds. Him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's and, not and one life, it's two lives, and it's it's the. I think when you take a life, it just just it's like it tears a fabric through society. It's not just that one life, and and even even saying that, one life is not a just thing. It's not something that you use the word just one life. But the impact and the devastation and the destruction is just so massive and it's just so sad. Um, um, yeah. So, rest in peace, Michael Alec. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll carry on counting down the top 10 things from this past week that made us go wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton Bailey, joined by Tom Campbell. Joined by or with? I don't know. Joined with. <laughs> and James St. James. Uh, and we are counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow. Um, we have reached number seven. Number seven. We have lost a lot of people to COVID, just to, you know, old age. It feels like it happens all the time now. You know, there's that whole theory that we know a lot of more famous people, so a lot more people we know are passing away. But two I wanted to make note of. One is the passing of Don Wells, the actress who did die of COVID-related, who was the actress who played Marianne on Gilligan's Island. Now, it probably dates us. I don't know if people still watch Gilligan's Island. But boy, was it unavoidable growing up. Getting cable, you know, going from like network TV to getting cable, which I was alive for that transition, as soon as you got cable, that meant you had Gilligan's Island playing every day after school, hour blocks, all the time. And there's something about Gilligan's Island, we don't have to get into it now, where it wasn't good. You knew when you watched it as a kid it wasn't good, but it was infectious. And I think a lot of that had to do with the actors and the characters and how they portrayed them. And, you know, there were three women on the on the, on the island. Mrs. Howell, who was very rich. They were like, Natalie, what's her name? She was so Natalie wonderful. Natalie Shaker, yes. Lovey Howell. Amazing character actress you see in every movie when you watch movies now from the past. You know, Tina Louise doing an amazing ginger. Really was an iconic performance that she spent her whole career trying to distance herself from. And then the freshest apple pie, 
you know, Don Wells, Marianne, the, the girl next door, the girl you could get, who was stunning and beautiful. And she was on Drag You many, many years later. She was a delight then. No one seems to have a bad story or a bad word to say about Don Wells. She embraced her fame. She embraced her Gilligan's Islandness. She did a lot of things after that. And it's sad that she's gone. And she stayed very active to the very end. I, I'll just, I, I do want to say that, that before there was Sex in the City, you could tell who you could you and your friends would play. Who are you from Gilligan's Island? Are you Ginger? Are you the professor? Are you Gilligan? Are you Lovey Howell? Who are you? I was always Lovey Howell for all that. this forever. But I I loved I, I loved Don Wells so much, and it really did. It was a part of my childhood that that left. And this other person who passed, this other woman, this grand dame, Phyllis McGuire of the McGuire sisters. And James, this must be so up your, I, I sent you guys a bunch of links, which you probably didn't look at, but there's an amazing, the McGuire sisters were discovered on television. They looked exactly the same and they sang like schmaltzy 650 songs, sincerely sugar time, but they had that family blend and they were just, and this lead singer was this, was, was this Phyllis. Phyllis got hooked up with Sam Giacani, the mobster who was famous because he was dating Judith Exner Campbell the same time that Kennedy was. And it sort of destroyed, it was released, revealed, they supposedly really loved each other, and it was revealed that they were together and it destroyed her career. The McGuire sisters broke up. You know, they were a huge Vegas act. And the um, Barbara Walter special from like 19, I don't know, 80-something, is in her Vegas home that she still lived in, where there was literally a, a, a Eiffel Tower in her living room. Like, like, you know, like she had so much money and she had, you know, diamonds that rivaled Elizabeth Taylor's. And her, her whole act was about being like, I really loved him. And people say she did. And he didn't, he didn't leave me any money when he died. That's her, like, no, 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 no. I, I, I bought oil bonds. With it. it's, it's priceless to watch. And there's an incredible uh, piece in Vanity Fair around the same time, mid-80s, that you can get online, that Dominic Dunn wrote. And both he and Barbara remind me of the old journalism because they're kind of friends with her. They know, you know, like Barbara Walters' father, Lou Walters, had the uh, Latin Quarter, a nightclub in the in Boston in the 50s. I'm sure he booked them. So it was kind of, they were just kind of playing into her myth because her myth is so delightful. So rest in peace, Don Wells. Rest in peace, Phyllis McGuire. And we'll, we'll play some uh, McGuire sisters on the way out. So you, if you haven't heard them before, you'll know. Is she the last McGuire sister alive? Yeah, she yeah, was the youngest, and she, she's the one that finally passed. They came back, by the way, on PBS and later on, and they were just, you know, just giant women in matching Chanel and huge hair and huge earrings. You know, as soon as you sample Fenton, when you do, you'll never, you'll never go back. I have a lot to do. I, I never even watched Gilligan's Island, to tell you. What? I know, I know. Let's go on to number seven, six. Number six. Seven. No, six, James. Oh, I'm are you sure? sure of it. Yes, okay. completely. Well, I want to do the show. I just need 10,000 votes. I can't count. Just give me 10,000 votes. <laughs> Blake says he's always number six. Girl, we don't pay attention to these things. We've only been doing it five years. You're always number six, 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 if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, number six, six, six. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Rest in Power, uh, Tanya Roberts, who passed away, who died and then was resurrected and then died again um, uh, over the course of the uh, couple days. 
Um, she had a really fantastic career that I think people overlook. You know, she was a Bond girl. She was in A View to a Kill with Grace Jones and Roger Moore. Um, she was one of Charlie's Angels. She was one of the last, she was the last angel after Shelley Hack fizzled out. So they brought her on and they finally had a redhead, a blonde and a brunette when, when she came on, she was a firecracker. And, um, she was also in Beastmaster. She was in Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. She was Midge on, um, that 70s show for years and years and years, which I imagine is where she finally made her fortune. Um, but it, she managed to straddle every decade since the 70s. So, I mean, she's um, she had quite a career. I think she was, you know, um, but then she died. And there were a lot of eulogies in the Internet sort of like just rediscovered her again. Then uh, about 24 hours later, it said, no, she wasn't dead. And that there was a mistake. And that, um, yeah. This is what I'm thinking. Her representative, because she like. It was suddenly very ill, and she walked her dog, and she collapsed. It was a horrible scene, and they rushed to the hospital. And I think she has a, a partner still, and 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 and. But the representative's like, she died. And I think it got out, and it was misunderstood. And then he's like, she's so sick. He's kind of like, ooh, what do I do? Do I go back and tell them that she's not dead, but she's going to die? So I think either that or it was the best publicity stunt ever, because I was hoping she would live and then go on the I'm Alive tour, but. Let me tell you something else that happened. Let me sort of give you a little context to this, because also a couple of days later, a couple of days earlier, a woman named Barbara Guthrie Lay, who was a, um, uh, uh, the Miss Virginia in 1958, she was a beauty queen and she, um, she died of a COVID related disease and they, the, her husband announced it and it went to press and everyone was sort of eulogizing her, showing pictures of her in her beauty pageant days. And all of a sudden they said, no, there's been a mistake. She's not dead. She's alive. And so the same thing happened. And two is a coincidence. Three is a trend. If it happens again, we're going to know, but I have a theory about what's happening here. I think. Do you, do you think uh, COVID is a zombie apocalypse? Well, yeah, yeah, let me get to that. Let me get to that. But my first theory is that I think that the hospitals are so stressed and overrun right now that I think a lot of people are slipping through the cracks and they're saying, you know, they're going and they're looking for a pulse. They don't see it. And they say dead and they move on. And maybe they, they shouldn't. I think there might be something in COVID that slows your heart rate down immeasurably. And it's sort of like a Romeo and Juliet effect where you go, you take the pulse, you don't see anything. And then an hour later, the pulse starts again. I'm I'm just thinking if this happens again, you're going to have some weird, it's a weird zombie thing. Just, just to poke a little tiny hole in your theory. Remember that Tanya Roberts, late Tanya Roberts did not die of COVID. Well, no, I don't believe that either because I heard that she did have COVID and then it sounds like they're trying to, it's a Trumpian thing where they're saying it's not COVID, it's not COVID, but I think it was COVID. Right. James St. James is where I get my news. So I believe you. I I know that all I know about her is that she didn't like being called a Bond girl. And then I read a, a, a rather sort of, Apropos remark on Twitter, someone said the film, the Bond film she should have been in was You Only Live Twice. Right, exactly. I want to say one thing. There is a footage of her on Johnny at the Charlie's Angels times, like 1980, 81, where she's on with the Johnny Carson, who's so respected. And he is treating her in such a sexist way in hindsight. He's so like, so how'd you get in the business? Somebody must have helped you. And then he has nothing to say. She's sort of uncomfortable the whole time. Like he's asking her basically, were you bought and sold, you know? And so he gets to this point where he doesn't know what to say because she's not being a good guest because he's not asking good questions, which is rare for Johnny. And he goes, so do you want to go to bed? 
He was he was a piece of he was a piece of work, wasn't he? And then he apologized. I'd never seen him in that light before, but it was it's it's worth seeing because you realize what people got away with in the past. He apologized right away profusely, but it still happened and it was very awkward. You know, I you know, he was married 110 times and I think that the way he, he treats he treated Angie Dickinson and Dolly Parton when they came on, I think he was I think there's a lot to answer for with Johnny Carson. Uh, okay, number five. Number five. Um, your name engraved herein. It's a movie on Netflix. Uh, James, I picked it for you, but actually I really picked it for me. It's set in a Catholic high school for boys in the late 80s in Taiwan. And it's about a love story between two of the students at the end of Taiwan's military dictatorship. And they're in this very strict Catholic boarding school and the two lead characters. It's the, it's, you know, it's the Brokeback Mountain story, basically. It's, it's sort of gay comfort food, you know. Now, but you know, I remember love. last week or two weeks ago, you, were, you had been on a Thai soap opera, gay soap opera kick. Yeah. And that, I, I've exhausted everything there. <laughs> and this mercifully, I mean, this is only a single movie. And it's sort of, I mean, I do like these, these stories of gay love. And I do, I do think there is something special about gay love for gay people when they first have it. It's like it leaves a sort of special mark, perhaps that lasts longer than most other loves or something. So there's always plenty of trauma and angst. And this is particularly traumatic and angsty. And sort of following the pattern, you know, one of the characters is gay, gay, totally okay being gay, knows he's gay. One of the characters thinks, as is true historically, that it just wasn't viable to be a gay person at that time for whatever reason, whether it's religion or whether it's culture or whether it's just plain old repression, just the idea that you cannot lead a viable gay life. And so that's the, the nature of this intense relationship that forms between them. But then the school opens up to girls. And when the girls come in, one of them decides it's just too hard being gay. I'm going to get a girlfriend. And then that sets up this incredibly intense love, hate, you know, push, pull. And there's a great um, climactic scene, shall we say, in the showers. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, but you should watch it. It's sort of in the sort of, yeah, I mean, uh, there's also a similar in this genre is Lie With Me, which hasn't been made into a film yet, which is the French version of the story. You know, it's the same story. It's the Brokeback Mountain story. Well, I do remember, you know, I mean, my first love affair when I was in eighth grade. To this day, I still look back on that with rose-colored glasses. And it the feelings, those first feelings of your first love are they stay with you the, all the days of your life. And I remember he was, I was the, the flamboyant one, like you said, and there he was, he was a little more in the closet and he had a girlfriend at the time that was his beard. And um, so I think I would probably relate to this very well. Oh, James, I'll never forget our first love. I, it was a beautiful moment in time. Wasn't it, Tom? Yes. I would fly to Maine every summer to be with you. All right, that's enough of that. Let's move on uh, to, oh, let's take a break. Um, Blake, have you got a question for us? I do have a question. When was the last time the Capitol was breached? Wow. I thought we were living through a historic, unprecedented event. 
<laughs> so we'll have the answer for this question of when this, this same thing happened last time. Right after the break, you're listening to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. I'm Fenton here with James, St. James, and Tom Campbell and Blake. You had a very teasing question for us during this historic, no, not historic, historic week. Yes. This is not a historic week. This is historic. When was the last time the Capitol was breached? I they were talking about this on CNN today that there was something that happened in like 1955 or something like that where there was um or 1950. Yeah. Go ahead, tell us. It was in on August 24th of 1814 oh. during during the War of 1812. British troops invaded the Capitol and burned down the unfinished Capitol. Well, I think we need to go back and, and and maybe next week I will bring up this subject again because something happened in 1955 or 54 in which there was um, some bloodshed on the floor of the Capitol building. Okay. Anyway, moving along. <laughs> moving right along to number four. Number four. Now, part of me wonders if this whole Trump seizing the Capitol, like all that drama was somehow orchestrated by Chris Jenner to cover up the real news story of the week that Kim Ye, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West at the beginning of the week are being, are, it's, it's been leaked that they are divorcing. Then there's been some backpedaling by TMZ saying, no, they're in counseling and it's not going well. And then, and then the bombshell of all, and it's a rumor from TikTok, which we know must be true, is that, Kanye is in a relationship with Jeffree Star. And try to, someone explain Jeffree Star. I know Jeffree Star is, but he's, he's someone, someone explain, please. I don't get in trouble. Jeffree Star is a drama loving makeup mogul who has made hundreds of millions of dollars peddling his, um, his cosmetics to teenagers. He is a, um, a, a very, um, flamboyant character. He is, his look is very, um, uh, is very arresting. And yeah. he's somebody who embraces, um, uh, drama culture. But so, years, years and years ago, in the very infancy of social media, we took a pitch with Jeffree Star out, Jeffree Star's 8,000 friends, because before Facebook, I can't even remember what it was called. Friendster. Was it Friendster? Well, it was MySpace. What, what was, was, it, what was the site that you, where you MySpace. had all your friends? MySpace. 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 That's right. He was like one of the most friended people on MySpace. And we had a format where we were going to have him meet all 8,000 of his friends. Because 8,000 friends was considered then an enormous number of followers. <laughs> In the dawn of social media. But what do you think of this Kim Ye thing? Is it, is it just inevitable? Is it old news? I feel like there's a... Kim is now 40. They are no longer on E. I'm not worried about them, but there is a change. They have. The, it was announced that the Kardashians have made a huge overall deal with Hulu. So they will continue. But, you know, again, we're talking about this. It's tacky, but we also saw the first time they met. We saw the, the, the engagement at Candlestick Park. It's... It's it's and and the idea of spending a lot of money and driving around in Rolls Royces and stuff is kind of really gauche right now. And now the divorce 
you know, do we want to see 40-year-old Kim Kardashian dating? Does she want to see that? I don't know. It's it's James. Um, I, I do believe that Kim is in a different phase in her life. And, and probably Kim, Kanye was very good for her when she um, when she met with him and started, first took up with him. She got a lot of fashion cred that she didn't have before. She got on the cover of Vogue, which she never would have gotten before. So Kanye was very good for her. I think now she's moving into this period where she wants to be a lawyer. She wants to be a, a catalyst for change. And to that end, there's rumors that she is now with Van Jones from CNN. So that, that the two of them are now that that this is her new that, that she has her sight set on Van, and that the two of them are. And we know for a fact that Kanye and being with Jeffrey, I, we don't know that this is true. It's just allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. But we also know allegedly, allegedly, allegedly that Kanye was with Amanda Lepore years and years and years ago. They hooked up in a gym in San Francisco one time, and Amanda has been very vocal about it since then, that she and Kanye were once tonight. And there's no fame in that, but it's a, it's a fascinating combination, right? We didn't like people should love who they love. Yes. And the Van, now all of a sudden the Van Jones thing is is, is really the, 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 the headline here. Isn't that ding, ding, ding? Doesn't that make total sense for Kim to go to Van? Yes. And I have Van Jones I like on air a lot. And he's good looking. And I used to, used to work at a gym I worked at occasionally. And he gave off because my gaydar is broken. But like, like he was gay. Like I don't think he is. But or maybe, I don't know. It's like I guess it doesn't matter anymore. We're no, no, screwed. it's, it's a whole new world. Anyone can be with anyone, and that's the beauty of it. As so. long as they're happy. As long as they're happy. I find the whole thing completely baffling. And I could spend the rest of the entire show just speculating about all the different possibilities. It's so bizarre to me, which sounds judgmental. It's not judgmental. I just don't understand the chemistry. You know, I can get the chemistry of your <laughs> man here in Engraved, where it's two Catholic schoolboys just bursting into passion for each other. I just don't understand that they're sort of the power alliances. It seems more political to me than passion. Again, we're definitely Chris Jenner is behind the scenes orchestrating all of this. That's why I go back to my initial story. The whole coup on the Capitol could have been designed by uh, by by uh, Chris Jenner. I think she may have been doing it to get the heat off of Kanye and Kim. She has that power. I can't wait to see the Kardashians as a kind of Bridgerton extravaganza. <laughs> All right, let's go. Number three. Number three. Yeah, number three. I number three. Um, went back and decided to binge Desperate Housewives, which at the time I remember giving up on after a few seasons because it seemed very unfocused and it made no sense. It was just sort of like like everything higgledy-piggledy being thrown at the wall to see what sticks. I Like, let's move ahead five years. Let's put Ava Longoria in a fat suit. Like, it just seemed like there was no focus to it. So I went, decided to go back and see if it still held up. And I got to say that that first pilot episode is one of the best made pilots of all time. It sets up the story. It sets up the characters, who's who, just just everything about the, the, the pilot works. And so I went back and I decided to write down, make a list of the most perfect pilots of all time. And I want to see if you agree with these or not. Lost had one of the best first episodes ever, and it got you hooked immediately. Glee was unbelievable. That first, the whole first season of that show was actually pretty brilliant, but that first episode was really good. Friends, 
did an excellent job of setting up what the characters were when Rachel runs in in the wedding dress and you know that you know that she's the spoiled girl. Game of Thrones, unbelievable, gets you hooked from the very beginning. American Horror Story was terrifying that first yeah. episode. Um, Mad Men and Breaking Bad and Arrested Development and Twin Peaks all had amazing first episodes. Yes, my favorite of all time. May I join join in? Yes, please. The Mary Tyler Moore Show. Yeah. Still holds yeah. up. It does hold up. Um, Prison Break was one that if it had just been a standalone movie, it would have been absolutely brilliant. Fenton, you were the one who had demanded that I give this attention, and I did, and I will forever be grateful for you. Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, one of the best shows ever of the last 25 years. Unbelievable. And the way they set it all up where the the planet explodes, there's the the group of ragtag humans, and they're going to find a planet, this lost long ago planet that they've never, they've heard of, but don't believe it exists. And it's called Earth. And when you hear that the last minute and you get there off to look for this planet Earth, it gives you, it gives you. um, Oh, gosh. And goosebumps. Actually, goosebumps for me because they're on this plane or the spaceship, and they've obviously been there for months. And they're tired. It's like being in a lifeboat. They're all worn down. And, and the Cylons keep attacking. Aliens to just get them. Every yeah. 30 seconds they attack. And every 30 seconds, it, it's just, it's so, and they, it, it is so harrowing. It is absolutely brilliant. Buffy is sort of the same way. The Bodyguard, which happened just recently, which, um, remember with uh, the guy from Game of Thrones, you watched it, Fenton, and you loved it. Um, and, um, uh, Sleepy Hollow. If it just would have, it, it was it was a show that um, started off really brilliantly and then sort of descended into chaos. But those were my yes. Do you have another one? I don't have another one, but I just want to go back to Desperate Housewives for a second because you're right. Desperate Housewives was the scripted model when Bravo was rebranding and they wanted to do a reality Desperate Housewives. And I was around at another company. I think a lot of people were trying to develop. It ended up being the real housewives of Orange County out of the you know, evolution, which yeah. they, now they do hills and so much more. But it really, um, it really was also the inspiration for, for what is Bravo and what is that whole ilk of television, which is quite yes, yes. An interesting case where the scripted pilot was actually ultimately eclipsed by the unscripted reality show because that doesn't normally happen. As I get further into the seasons, I will let you know if if. I was wrong to abandon the show later on. So I will re- revisit this. I have a feeling you were right about Desperate Housewives, but we'll see. Desperate Housewives brought, begot um, Real Housewives, which also begot the OC. Because, oh. You know, the show, the teen Well, Sunday actually, show. no, if you remember, um, the OC begat the uh, real, the Laguna Beach. Yes. Yes, and so they were doing to trying to do a real OC, and I remember that was the pitch was we're going to get the real OC. So Desperate Housewives was yeah. So okay, all right. Number two, number two. This was just going to be this a little little tiny thing. Caboose, twenty twenty caboose, because you know the caboose is the last train on the track on the train or whatever. So I thought when this happened to me, this was the caboose for twenty twenty for last year. So I went out to our place in Palm Springs. I get to there, and there's this awful smell. Like, I'm, oh, my God, a skunk is on the loose. 
And but I, it's like in the, it's outside. I'm thinking, okay, just you know, just before I arrived at Lalo, I opened the front door and the overpower. I mean, my God, I'm like, my eyes are streaming. I'm like, the skunk must be in the house. Well, I go room to room, room to room, no skunk, but the smell is ever present and it sort of keeps moving around. Suddenly, you know, I'll be in the kitchen, so it'll be a huge waft of skunky smell. Super short story, super short. The skunk had gotten into the crawl space under the house. So the reveal was, ultimately, the skunk was living in the subfloor space between the floor and the ground, which is like 12 inches high. So I call out the West next time. Anyway, the skunk is still on the loose. They cannot trap the skunk. And my mother-in-law tells me, because she's Native American, that actually skunks are powerful medicine. And that what you should really do if you encounter a skunk Inhale as much as you can, because the aroma will reside inside you and ward off sickness. And so if you get sprayed by a skunk, it's really good. It's like being armored, which I thought was a possible good tip during this time of of pandemic. And what you should never do, you should never say anything bad about the skunk. You should never say, oh, it stinks, etc. You should acknowledge the, the skunky power and the skunky smell. And actually, it's not such a bad smell. It's just a when it gets too strong and your eyes stop the water and you can't breathe, then it's a little weird. Yeah. So wait, yeah. the skunk is still there and you had to spend your entire weekend with the skunk smell? I woke up at three in the morning because it obviously let off a skunk bomb right underneath the bed. It was so awful. I just got out of bed, packed everything up and went back to LA. I was like, there's no way I can remain in a house that's being skunk bombed from beneath. It was like, so... And apparently they're very hard to trap because they're very cunning. And even though they're practically blind, they're very sensitive. And um, so, yes, but you've got to be nice to the skunk. All right. So that's, okay. that's skunk on the loose. Let's take a break. Uh, and we'll be right back with more of the WOW Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders WOW Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the WOW Report. I'm Fender Bailey. We're here with James and Tom. It's our first show of 2021, and we have a brand new number one cause for celebration, I think. Tom, what is number one? Number one. In a name, Stacey Abrams. Uh, just a full salute to her. Yes, oh, you're, you're saying, um, you know, in a week like no other week that we keep saying that, uh, you know, the Georgians came through. And uh, both elections for the U.S. Senate contention went blue, or they have as the time at the time of this taping. And it's a concerted effort. There's so many people to thank, and there's great organization. But the leader, the inspiration, is Stacey Abrams. And we owe so much to women and women of color, especially for saving our democracy, for making you know the what the Biden year, you know, for next next term you know, with the opportunity to actually make some changes and not for just to be a, a Mitch McConnell, you know, uh, don't bring anything to forward. So I just, um, I, I have not spent enough time appreciating her publicly and need to. And I feel like the world's open to her now. Um, but thank you, Stacey Abrams, for saving democracy. I don't know if that's even overstating it. 
I did see a lot of tweets out there saying, let's tear down every Confederate statue and put up statues of Stacey Abrahams everywhere. And let's put her on all the money. Let's let's get her in a position. Let's put her as, you know, secretary of state or something like that and get her in a position where she can be uh, President Abrams someday. And let's she's just absolutely magnificent. And what a job she did. It was a 10 year project of hers to, to cl- help clean up the Georgia elections. And well, I remember back to the 2016 election that she lost, um, you know, to Brian Kemp, who was running against her while he was also um, Secretary of State. I mean, such a clear conflict of interest. And he, in that period of time, I think he canceled more than 1.4 million voter registrations and held up others. I mean, such a clear-cut, disgusting case of Republican voter suppression, of which a game at which they're very adept. But amazing. She has the character to rise above a defeat, which is devastating to anyone. And the humiliation, instead of just licking her wounds or going away or being embittered, she made sure that it did not happen to the next people. Yeah. And that, I just can't talk about the valor and the, and the courage and the bravery and the brilliance of that. And, and, and then contrast that, not that we have to, with President Chaos, who is so, has, has been driven truly mad by his, his loss. And also some of, you know, Georgia politics is up there with Florida politics and North Carolina politics and that it is so so corrupt. And when you see what Kelly Loeffler was doing when she, you know, the the insider trading and how she uh, dumped all the stocks and bought um, telecommunication stocks and body bags and casket stocks. And it made went from 160 million to a billion dollars over the course of the last, you know, six months. Um, since the pandemic and just that there is so much just nastiness in politics and Stacey is a, is the one bright light in, in you wish there were more people like her. I surround her with love and light and safety because she's going to be such a target. She already has been, will be such a target for the weirdo, right? But I, I love her and can't, uh, you know, th- this accomplishment alone, I think she has a bright future, but puts her in the pantheon of, of, of democracies warriors truly and and really doing what we didn't think could be done which is sending mitch mcconnell to the pork chop loading dock it's like (laughs) it's so exciting to see him vanquished you know moscow mitch um you say pork chop loading dock are you referring to rupaul's drag race is airing every uh every friday at 8 p.m on vh1 and a whole new season I might just be. And I will just say, while that's happening, it's less than a week till RuPaul's Drag Race UK second season, which starts very soon. So very excited about that. You can catch that on Wow Presents Plus. Hey, well, that's all we got time for. Tom, James, lovely to see you both again. Love you both. And Blake, um, thanks for tuning in. Um, you can listen to previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. Um, same time, same place next week. Until then, <laughs> don't go out. Whatever you do, this this for a week, stay home. Stay home. Um, but you can still do something like Stacey Abrams that makes the world go wow. Wow.